Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You know how lots of people grow up and they know they're part something, but they don't know anything about it? Mm. And I sort of feel like for the kids, I don't really know how. Mm. I think that if you want to retain your culture, you got to get involved in uh, community, in uh, the church. Yeah, but I'm not into. Mm. I'm not into that. I'm not into church. Yeah, because they can't speak fluent the language. Mm. But if you take them to church, they hear from dad. But I feel like that I'm never going to do that. I'm Sarai and I'm Julie. This year, we travelled with our soundie Joey across Aotearoa to eavesdrop on immigrant whānau talking with their children. Every family we visited welcomed us, made us laugh, honestly made us cry. And over this series, we invite you too to listen in on Conversations with My Immigrant Parents. In this episode of Conversations with My Immigrant Parents, we are in Tūranganui Akewa, Gisborne, to hear from Liliani and her daughter Kasaya. Liliani's in her 60s now. She left Tonga at 21 and came to Aotearoa with her auntie in the 1970s. Liliani met Kasaya's Palangi dad in Auckland and from there they married and moved to Gisborne. Kasaya describes her mum's early life here as being difficult. She was married to a white man in a small town in New Zealand where there were less than 10 Pacific Islanders. Liliani worked as an early childhood education coordinator for the Ministry of Education, but when her husband passed away in 1998, she had to take on a more local-based job. Kasaya was born here and now lives in Lower Hutt. She also has two boys and a daughter. Rioter, her daughter, is in the conversation as well. She was five months old at the time, so you might hear her squealing a little bit, but she's an angel. So here's Liliani and Kasaya. My mum is Liliani Leveni Waite. She's from Tatakumotonga in Tonga, and she lives in Gisborne, New Zealand. Mum worked as an early childhood education coordinator for the Ministry of Education for about 10 years and then after that she went on to become a Pacifica liaison um, officer at the EIT Polytechnic here in Gisborne for about 13 years. Now she's retired and enjoys spending time with her grandchildren intending to her garden. My mum is awesome. <laughs> Everybody that knows me knows that I love my mum and they've heard me talk about mum. Living legend. Kasaya is my uh, my only daughter. I've got three children and uh, she's the youngest. Uh, she named after my mother she now, she's working for the Ministry of Justice and she's the 
principal research analyst of the Waitangi Tribunal. She's proud. She's proud to be a Tongan. But I'll tell you a little story to that. Katie School is just a school down the road. Most of the kids go to that school down Māori because this area is mostly Māori people. She goes to school. It was hardly any island people there. And she always said, Mum, I'm a Māori. And I said, no, you're a Tongan. You always said that um, because I was your only daughter mm. and it's different having sons than having daughters because daughters are so precious. Like, you know what you always say, your your daughter of the family is like your laipele or your, you know, your special um, kind of... So I always felt like I was precious. And so you wanted to keep me close to you so that you could protect me and raise me to be sort of proper Tongan girl. (laughs) And and that goes back to how... To your upbringing. To my my upbringing and also my culture. Mm. The Tongan girls, they're so precious. Um, If we go into tea tailor dice... (laughs) It's quite, uh, yeah, Uh, with our girls, we have to make sure that they stay, um, a virgin, a virgin, (laughs) and untouched, you know, before their wedding day, because that wedding, Tongan wedding for a young man and a young girl, they love, and they are so important in our culture. And uh, because I... But that's in a Christian sort of 1950s when you were growing up. Yeah. For me, I didn't see any of my friends have those Mm. same Mm. expectations. Mm. So I thought it was a bit sort of... (laughs) bit weird. Yeah, but all... And a bit stressful. Yeah. A a very high expectation that I didn't think was realistic or normal. But actually, it's the way I was. I bought I know. Because, mm. you know, I was the oldest girl in the family. Mm. And my mother always told me if the girl has already been with a boy and you already, you know. Had sex? Yes. And I was protective of, of that sort of idea. Yeah. And that's I, why I want you, you know. I, know. I, I thought it was too unrealistic. And I'm not going to do that to my daughter. Because it's sort of... You don't want to disappoint your your mother. But at the same time when you're... You know, this is not Tonga. And I know I'm Tongan, but... I just want, you know... I want it to be... My God, you're ready. <laughs> just un, un, undo it, just uh, the, <laughs> unblock it. Yeah. Just, yeah, unblock it then. Oh, it's the, yeah, fa- it's, the one. it's the phantom radio that just turns on whenever. It turns on. <laughs> Please continue. Save me. Oh, yes. <laughs>
<laughs> you cannot write this. Shit. It was amazing. <laughs> it was not even the only time. Every time we got to a deeply emotional bit, the, the phone, phone would, would ring. Her diabetic nurse would call. Oh. Every time. In this next section, Liliani and Kasaya discuss expectations around being Tongan women. I felt like it, it was hard for me because I wanted to be normal. Like every teenager wants to, and young woman wants to feel confident and normal. And that expectation, I thought it was not realistic. You know, I always felt like I was, no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to disappoint you in that way. Mm. You know, in that way of following our culture to be a perfect something you know because I know that you were that perfect girl Mm. but I didn't feel like that was me Mm. because I'm here in this country and it's not it's it's not not a it's not the value that this this country is held by Mm. and I didn't think it really meant much and I still think that Mm. so even though now I'm, I'm married and I got three children I still didn't hold that value the same as you. That's the one thing I don't regret. I look back and I think, no, it was okay that I didn't listen. You probably, if you it was okay. listen, you'll probably never get married. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's such yeah. a, like, mm. you know, pastor's daughters. I'm not mm. a pastor's daughter. Mm. Polly, yeah, Polly kids out there, they know when you're a pastor's daughter, mm. you're the fastest daughter to have mm. sex before marriage. But, I mean, that's quite mm. controversial, but true. Isn't that right? It is. Because yeah. you're holding them to an unrealistic mm. standard in this country. Even mm. in Tonga, maybe. I don't know. I can't speak about Tonga, but I always felt that was, like, stressful. Mm. But you, I always felt like you were perfect, even when you came here. Mm. Because it's the culture that that's my culture where mm. I was brought up, grew up in that culture, and from my my mother, uh, she always talked to me about those kind of thing. You know, if mm-hmm. I go with a boy or have a boyfriend and you go and have, you know, have a baby or something like that, that is really putting the family down. Your brothers, your parents, your whole family. I don't think anybody here really cares that much. Like for me, because I left home, 17, gone, Mm. there was no community to really disappoint for me. So I didn't sort of worry about that. It's probably because you grew up here in New Zealand. Yeah. I think it's a bit unfair on girls. That double standard. What happened... Mm. When you did have pregnant before you you getting married, actually my heart was broken. And that's why I said to you, you have to get married. Do you remember that day yeah. I said? Yeah. Doesn't matter, you have to marry that person. I was scared that child might grow up with a single mum or with somebody else, you know, and and it will break my heart. I wouldn't like that. I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah. And we were talking about the wedding and all that, and I think I told you I was prepared for a big wedding 
because she's mm. my only daughter and the family, they were looking forward for that. But when I was talking to you and he said, no, I don't want a big wedding. I just go to the rest of the office and get married and that's it. And you did exactly mm. what you said. Something that I thought was interesting when I talked to Kasai before we did the conversation with her and her mum, she says that she does everything her mum says, which mm. is so different for me because um, I don't. But, um, yeah, she said that even when her mum told her she had to get married when she got pregnant, she says it all worked out. Her mum was right. Mm. I mean, they're both really loving and generous with each other, eh? So it, and, you know, which makes it really nice to listen to. Yeah. I, I do feel like some of these, some of the things that Liliani said when I'm hearing them again, I'm like, damn, like, it's... It is full on to tell your daughter that she needs to marry the person that got her pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that this is kind of, this is like a dichotomy of a lot of immigrant mothers and grandmothers, you know, incredibly Mm -hmm. kind, loving. I mean, they basically give their whole lives to their children and grandchildren Mm -hmm. and partners. But at the same time, they have these intense, rigid, maybe somewhat regressive Christian values. Yeah, Yeah, or not necessarily Christian, but religion-based values. And it's sort of like, how does that impact your child who has to live in a society that is different to the one you grew up in, has to try and marry those two things? Yeah, I mean, which is what Kasai talks about. Yeah, and how does that influence how they are maternal or matriarchal Mm. themselves, I guess? Matriarchal themselves? We're just making We're just making words up. (laughs) But no, yeah, I understand what you mean. It's also interesting how Liliani's so against children being raised by single mums when that's literally what she did. You know, her husband died when Kasaya was only 13 and it wasn't just raising Kasaya, it was raising her brothers, Brian and Anthony. And Brian also has a disability, which meant that for most of his life, Liliani had to be his sole carer all the way until this year when Mm. she moved into IHC care. I think that Liliani probably understands probably feels the way she does about Kasaya raising her kids as a single mum because that's what Liliani had to do. She probably gets how hard it is. Yeah. The difference is that my mum wasn't a single mum by choice. To be honest, I was actually a daddy's girl. Mm. (laughs) And I got to the teenagers and I don't know if you remember mum, but I got to those those teenage years and it was really hard because of the pressure you know that I knew that you expected of me it was hard to um Mm. live up to it with being a teenager and then I felt like I wasn't that close to you Mm. I don't know if you remember that I felt like you were always gone you were busy Mm. you know always busy always away from home for whatever reason and I was more close to dad. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. You spent most of your young age with your father. And then when he died, mm. then I felt like after that, that's when you and I became very close. Mm. Mm. Hey, mm. we spent all our time together. Yeah. You always said you were like the mum and the dad. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But I never thought about that when I was pregnant. 
I wasn't going to be a single mum because, you know, Curtis was always going to be there. I knew that he would never leave me to be a solo mother. He always wanted to be together. It was me that wasn't ready, you know? Mm. It was, we always wanted to be together. But I just yeah, I didn't know that. I, I just was sort of not ready to commit to, because I felt like I was too young. <laughs> 28. <laughs> so I knew I would never be a single mother because I had him. And he would never let me be a single mother. Hey, you know? sweetie. Hey. Being pregnant forced us to commit to each other rather than sort of, you know, muck her out. You know? But I don't regret that. And I'm glad you told us to do that because that's one of the things that makes me happy today. Knowing that I got married to him and we're married. And it's true what you said, you know. I thought, oh, being married, how can that be any different from being in a relationship? Mm. But it is. I feel like it is, you know. I remember that you yeah. said. So that, you were right you know? about that. <laughs> when I came here, that I was, I was twenty. I was just told by my auntie that we're coming to New Zealand. I have got no idea where New Zealand is and why we're coming over here. Because my auntie married to a New Zealander. At that time, I just finished school and all I thought, oh yeah, well, I'll be going on a plane and I'll, you know, that'd be really good, I'll go overseas. I know there is work here in New Zealand. But I didn't think about that work. I think about, oh yeah, I'll be going over and, you know, like any other kid, I guess, <laughs> when you're that young, you just want to go and see what's, what's like. For adventure. Mm. But I remember I arrived here in New Zealand, I arrived here in June. Why I remember that? Because when I came, it was foggy when I arrived. Mm -hmm. And I never forget that. And I hopped out of the plane. Oh my gosh, it was freezing cold. Coming from a country is so warm. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing over in this country over here? Was it easy to just leave? Like, were you excited? You weren't sort of sad to no, say bye? I, I had no idea. I was told you were going to New Zealand. So I jumped on the plane, came over here, and then my auntie went to work and she said to me, well, you have to go to work, you know. So I went with her to work in town. So when I get paid, I never see my money. <laughs> she always goes, <laughs> always go to auntie. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was lucky to go to New Zealand. But when I see that the opportunity there, that is where I sort of, wanting to go to work and help my family. I started working in the Green Lane Hospital. It's, uh, what do you call those people? They do cleaning and... Custodian. Orderly? Uh, clear, eh? Orderly? No. no. Cleaner? Cleaner. <laughs> cleaner. <laughs> cleaner, yes. Cleaner. <laughs> I trained really hard with orderly, yeah? Um, 
just for context, uh, in the 1970s and the 1960s, this is when more Tongans started arriving in New Zealand. There were short-term contractual agreements between the New Zealand government and Tonga during this time due to demand for labour in New Zealand's industries. Which was something that obviously got turned around rapidly because in the mid-1970s was when the dawn raids started happening. So, I mean, migrants' heads must have been spinning. Do you want us here? Do you not want us here? And that is what you get when your immigration policies are racist. Anyways... Um, When Liliani left Tonga, age 21, she probably didn't realise she wasn't going to return for another 15 years. I went to Tonga after five years. And on our way to Tonga, there was a big hurricane in Tonga and we couldn't land it. I was so scared because actually... The plane, it was really, you know. And I had the experience of actually flying off my seat up like this and down. Oh, my gosh. Off the plane, yeah. That's how bad it was. And it was scared me. And it took me 15 years. I didn't know that. Yeah. Was that when I was a baby? When we went back? No? No, no. We went back before then? Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. And I was so scared to go back. And I thought, no, I'm not going to go back. What was it like when you went back? When I went back? Yeah, Well, when you saw everybody. Yeah, when I went back, I was so excited to see my parents, see my brothers Mm. and my family. Because when I came to Gisborne, I didn't talk much in Tongan because there was no, not many Tongan. In those days, it was hard to ring Tonga that you can talk to your family, you know. You're isolated, you know. And here in Gisborne, Auckland is okay, you got some Tongan people. But over here, it was only a few people here, but we didn't know each other then, you know. But something that I found when I went back to Tonga, I prefer to talk in English. They expect me to speak in Tongan, and I can, I can understand that because even now, if I talk in uh, Tongan, and some of the things that I couldn't think of the right word, then I have to speak in English. Yeah, when I went home, Mm. I bought some flowers and I bought some little things for my grandmother. And um, when I went back, when I arrived there and I said, um, I want to go and see Mele, Mele Lopa, that's my grandmother. And my father said, yeah, yeah, we can go and see her after. So when we were ready, I went over to my back and get my little things that I got for her. I think I bought her a dress and a cardigan. And I said, OK, here we go. So we hop in the car and we drove over to her house. And when we drove over there, I I said, where are we going? Because I know exactly where to go, you know, where my grandmother lived. And I said, where are we going? And they said, my brother said, we're going to see Mali. 
And I said, where's, where's Melly's house over there? And I pointed to where they we fast to go. I heard my father was saying, because he was trying, he said, oh my God, she didn't know that she passed away. And they were all quiet. They were quiet over there. I said, what's, what's wrong? What's the matter? Because at the same time, I know that is the road because I saw the cemetery. And I was wondering, where are we going to the cemetery? Melly's house is not at this, you know, on that road. Melly's house on the other side. And my father said, oh my gosh, we didn't let her know her grandmother passed away. She passed away two years. And I didn't know about that. And they said, and Dad said, sorry, but we didn't let you know your grandmother passed away. And I said, why didn't you tell me? No. And they thought that I knew. She nobody knows that I didn't know and I didn't know. And that's how the communication those days. You know, we live here, we didn't communicate with our families. We didn't hear from our parents. We have to write a letter to let them know what's What's going on? But that was the story about my grandmother. And I'll tell you something. I still doesn't get it. I still doesn't. I always still think that she's alive. Never come to close, to close that from my mind. I still think that. Were you angry? Or did you hate that you had to live here? Like, do you feel like it was worth it? Because sometimes I feel like it's always, you know, sacrifice. Mm. And I always feel sad sometimes because you tell me those stories and I can't imagine, you know, I think about your, your sacrifice coming here. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it makes me, it's it was sad. A, it's yeah. really sad because I can't imagine going to another country and, mm. you know, let's face it, people weren't that friendly all the time to you, you know? Mm. Actually, I don't feel, I don't feel that was a sacrifice. It was meant to be like that. I felt like that. That's the road that I had to travel to get there. It was no, no regret. I got children, I got grandchildren, you see? That road that I travel, there was nobody nice. So I can't really answer that, mm. to be quite honest. Hey, sweetheart. And I've got a beautiful mm -hmm. little green daughter here. Mm. So I, I don't really see the yeah, sacrifice yeah, there. But where I am now, I don't want to look back. I'm looking forward and I'm keep on going forward because looking at the past, it will be sad, very sad. 
That's why I don't focus at the past, I focus. Mm. I do the opposite. <laughs> I'm always looking at the past. That's what I do. No, I, I look thing. forward. No. Because if I live in the past, <laughs> I'll be sad. Yeah. I look forward and leave those things behind. Keep on going, keep on going. That's right, keep me going. Yeah. I feel like this is a bit of a theme just in the series as a whole, this mm -hmm. difference between generations, the older generation wanting to move forward from the past and the younger generation actively looking to it. Yeah, I guess because that parent generation has gone through so much trauma, mm -hmm. of course they want to forget about that mm -hmm. and just live in the present moment where, because they've worked so hard in the past, they've reached a point where they can enjoy the fruits of their labour. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Mm -mm. I think our generation, because we're all about um, looking back in order to redress the um, wrongs of the past, and that's great, um, but we shouldn't judge those who can't mm. face that. Absolutely, because it's for a reason. Mm. Um, I also think that we sometimes take this for granted, but what would that generation of women have been if they didn't have to give up so much to make their children and grandchildren's lives something, I don't want to say more because it's not a question of better, but, you know, like my grand didn't get to do a job that she was interested in. Her job had to be taking care of her family. Mm. And, you know, Liliani says that everything that she did was worth it because of where her family is now, but that's still putting their happiness and their stability on this pedestal, and yeah. it's just kind of humbling. Hearing Liliani talk about her wanting to go back to Tonga and then contrasting that with Kasaya's own experience of going to Tonga is quite interesting. So Liliani sent Kasaya back to Tonga after her last year of high school so Kasaya could gain more insight into what Tongan life is all about. It was still one of the best times of, of my life, actually. Like I said before, I felt like a lot of those Tongan mm. rules and things they were weird, <laughs> really weird, and they didn't make sense over here, like they're taken out of context. But when you go and mm. when I went to Tonga and, live. and I lived there and I lived as part of the family in a mm. little village mm. and, you know, went to church mm. and, you know, did all the things that my cousin did, then I understood all those rules made sense. Mm. Because how do I teach my own children those values? <laughs> because, you know, like I tell my son, you know, I, t I tell him all the time, well, you're Tongan, you know, that's why you're so, you know, strong and that's why you're so, um, I don't know, you know. <laughs> hey. And he always said that he's a Tongan. Yeah, he says, oh, come and look at my Tongan dance, mum. But then I think, oh, how is he going to know what is, what is being a Tongan? Because he mm. thinks that everybody in Gisborne is Tongan, eh? Mm. He thinks that mm. this is where all the Tongans live, because this is where you live, mm. and you're the only Tongan that he knows. Mm. <laughs> and her, like, I feel I have more obligation to her, just to, you know, to teach her her Tongan culture, because, you know, that's what I have, mm. you know, mm. for my Are you a little Tongan? No, you're a little Mary. <laughs> well, she's a, Are you? 
Your tongue it. Your matematonga. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I think I'll teach you the values that you taught me mm. because I think those That's the one you know. Yeah, and sort of doesn't matter if I can't speak fluent mm. Tongan mm. or the Tongan yeah. way. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah, you go back to your mummy. Mm. I worry that they won't. You know how lots of people grow up and they know their part something, but they don't know anything about it. Mm. I think if you want to retain your culture, you got to get involved in uh, in the community, in uh, uh, the church. Yeah, but I'm not into, mm. I'm not into that, I'm not into church. Yeah, because they can't speak fluent the language, mm. but if you take them to church, they, they learn hear. from, they hear from dad, them, and they also go to Sunday school. But I feel like that I'm mm. never going to do that, because mm. I'm mm. not. I can't see myself doing that. Australia, That's why I wanted do. us to go for a holiday to Tonga. Mm. So that they can, so Monty can say, this is Tonga. Mm. This is where everybody is Tongan and everybody's speaking Tongan, mm. you know? Yeah. But I don't know, it's hard. Mm. What if I don't agree with, mm. with those church ways of life and ways of thinking are not, that's not me? Mm. You know, I remember how I said I didn't want to baptise the children, but you said mm. that's our culture, but I said, no, that's Christianity. Mm. And so we, we didn't baptise them because mm. we couldn't agree on that. Mm. I find that quite hard. You can't teach your children if you can't speak the language. When you teach a culture to children, they have to get involved. And all those things, it will make sense. Yeah, they all aware and they all know, oh, yeah, that's my mum is a mm. part Tongan and my grandmother is a Tongan. But uh, if they don't get involved with those, then yeah, it means nothing. Mean. They'll lose it. Yeah. Aye. Yeah. I think about that sometimes. Mm. But I sort of also think, what can I do? Mm. Remember we went to Tonga? And you were going to, what were you going to do? We went and talked to the school, remember? Oh, I was going to do a, um... <laughs> I was going to do a, um... I was going to do a PhD in, um... In Tongan history. Something like that, eh? And I was going to go and live in Tonga mm, and learn to speak the language. language. <laughs> I thought it would be yeah. my chance. Uh. Because I thought I would, I would learn to be fluent if I lived there for six mm. months. Mm. I knew I could. Mm. I couldn't mm. write about no. Tongan history if I couldn't even yes, read the documents. The that's right. Hey. Yeah. But that's all gone now. Yeah. That's never going to happen. Yeah, I remember you saying, well, if I do all those, I'll be too old to have a family, remember? And you yeah. said, I better have a family. And then I'll do that later. Yeah, but now I've got a family. Yeah. I'll never do that. No. I know I'll never do that. No, you've got to feed the family. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably like quite a key thing I'm interested in uh, with this podcast is like how intergenerational relationships work, um, not only between these parents and kids, but the generation still coming, especially as it 
can feel sometimes like that culture is being diluted with every generation that's raised in a country or culture that's outside their home culture or ethnic culture. Amongst my peer group or friend group, I feel like there is a tide turning in the last few years maybe where there's um, been more pride in being Chinese. But the things that we latch onto as markers of Chineseness are like dumplings, red bags, um, I don't know, not really the Lantern Festival, but mahjong, like they're quite tokenistic. Um, it's like iconography rather than culture. Mm. And it doesn't feel like it has depth, um, but it's like that's the only way we know how to keep that culture and that those those would be what we would pass on to our next generations, you know? Yeah, but it's so much more diluted than what we got given. Mm. But if we can't bring what we were given as children even into our lives, we're never going to be able to pass it on to our kids, are we? Like, um, you know, how do you even judge the importance of some of these things? Like, mm. they they lose their value in a different context. Totally. So you don't you don't need to be trained in how to cook for your husband, uh, which is a thing in South Indian culture. Um, if your husband can also cook, you know, like, or if you don't want a husband. <laughs> um, yeah, part of that thinking is rooted in, like, culture is this static thing mm. and that's a Western view of non-Western culture anyway, so. And also I think not looking at those things as backwards but looking at them as necessary, you know, like, because mm. I never, because I was so good at understanding the way that Liliani thinks because it's the way that... Um, was more necessary to think. And I like that, accepting that things are necessary in the time, but we can also let sometimes let them go. What do you think about um, when whakapapa is part of it? Like if you belong to multiple cultures or ethnicities, like do you think that forms part of the, if we're going to call it dilution mm. of culture? Mm. Like if Kasaya's kids are a mix of so many different cultures, how do they retain any of them, all of them? I don't think you can ever retain culture or I don't think you can ever hold your culture in the same way that the generation before you could, mm. especially if there is migration between those two generations. I think we could try and stop imagining that there's only one way to do this. Like you can relearn. My mum is 57 and she's learning Sinhalese now. You know, I don't think, obviously she, there are parts of her culture that she missed out on, but maybe learning it when you're old enough to go and look for it is a really beautiful way of, or really important way of understanding yourself. And maybe it's going to teach you things in that part of your life. You know, I don't, yeah, no, I don't think we can pass on culture or pass on. Things in the same way. Hmm. I think that's okay. Growing up, I always thought home home is Gisborne. Gisborne is my home. Um, when I went to Tonga, I realised that Tonga is actually my home. Because I'm not from here. Because I remember coming back on the plane from Tonga, flying into Auckland at night time. And when I left, 
to go to Tonga, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm leaving home, I'm going by myself, I'm 15, I'm going to Tonga for a holiday, like an adventure, mm, like mm, a reverse mm, of, mm, of mum's mm. migration to New Zealand. It's like, I'm just going on an mm. adventure. Oh, I'm so sad, I'm leaving home. Oh my mm. gosh, it's going to be scary. But mm. when I left Tonga and flew back into Auckland, I thought, oh, I've left home. <laughs> and I realised I was a foreigner. Mm. I was a fo- I'm a foreigner in this country, and so are, so are you. Mm. And that's mm. when I realised that Tonga is my home, mm. not New Zealand. Mm. I, I live here, but I don't really, like, I could live anywhere. See, her but Tonga is my now, home. I can yeah, see Tonga's my home. that we connected. We connected that, that way of, of, of... Oh, me and you connected. Yeah, we connected oh. that way. Because... <laughs> Yeah, you know, because... That's how I felt. Because felt. that's how Is I felt. Is that how you feel? Yeah, that's exactly how that's I felt. How I that's how I felt when I was I said to you, mm. I never want yeah. to apply for a citizen in New yeah. Zealand because this is how I felt. I, that's mm. how I feel. I feel no, like I when, I, when I left Tonga, even though I was born in New Zealand, mm. I left Tonga, I left home. You know, I, that was mm. my... Tonga is my homeland. Not here, because we're not from here. But I remember when you first came back from Mm. Tonga, when you came, you were crying, Mm. remember that? And I still feel that. Yeah, you're crying when you... I still feel it. Came. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, I love living in New Zealand, but I don't feel the same feeling as when I left Tonga. I felt like this is where my blood comes from. Or my other half, Mm. that's a different Mm. story. My, you know, my mm. dad's side, that's a different story. But mm. my Tongan side, that's my home there. I'm here as a, like a migrant too. I just happen to be born here. I feel it's kind of weird. Like there's, there's a, it's kind of dif- difficult growing up, like in Gisborne in particular, because there's a real predominant culture here. Mm. And that's the Māori culture. Mm. Me and my brother have similar experience and similar feeling about being because we're mixed we're Tongan and we're Pākehā or Pālangi and we were brought up in a Māori community Mm, mm. and it's you know we know our Tongan culture but we're more around Māori culture and that's more normal for us Mm. in many situations so that's like an extra layer Anson and I talked about it Mm. he said same as me all our friends are Māori and we feel mm. most comfortable in our mm. social setting when we're amongst Māori, because yeah. that's what we know. Mm. When we go to our Tongan people, mm. we feel Palangi, we're so white. Mm. When we go and hang out mm. with our Palangi friends, mm. we feel we're black. Mm. So we feel everywhere we go, we have that little part of us that yeah. in our mind telling us <laughs> that you feel awkward, mm. you know? Mm. But I got used so to how I'm do, used to it now. How do you it. really feel like because you live no, in I'm those a Tongan two girl. cultures. I'm a Tongan girl because when I had my baby mm. and I looked at her and I said, I'm a Tongan girl, I'll teach you what my mum taught me about being a Tongan girl. And that was it. Mm. That's, mm. that's all mm. I could think of. I didn't think of anything else. Like, mm. I wanted her to know those things that you taught me, mm. those Tongan values. Mm. Even though I can't speak Tongan, I'll mm. learn something, you know, I'll teach her something. That's good. 
Are you crying? Yes. Yeah. Don't you think this is so special? Like the moment, the moment that Kasaya looked at Raya and the, the first thought she had yeah. in her brain, like that's never, that's a moment that's never going to happen again. That's mm. like so, so precious. I just love the pride that um, Kasaya has in her Tonganess. Mm. Like I feel like that's the place I need, want to get to. For yourself, yeah. Wow. I don't yeah. Know if it's possible, but no, that's no, no. Yeah, like amazing. Yeah, and un- understanding it, being proud of it, wanting to pass what her mum passed to her to her daughter. That's a really full. Yeah, view that's of Liliani's it. legacy. That's what she's passing on. That is a hella legacy. <laughs> So we want to end the episode saying the biggest thank you to Liliani and Kasaya. And Raya Please go on our Instagram and check out pictures of her because she is a fat, beautiful, perfect baby with amazing hair that defies gravity. Yeah, <laughs> a baby a with a mohawk. You can check out photos and videos of all our participants on Instagram at ConvosWithMy, on Facebook at Where Are You From Really, and on RNZ's website. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was created, produced and directed by Julie Zhu and Saray De Silva. Recorded by Joey Siasoko, sound engineered by Colleen Brennan, with original music by Tal. Our cover illustration is by Ngaumutane Jones at Ms Mimo, with design by Sonia Milford. RNZ supervising producers are Sarah Vuitalitu and Justin Gregory. RNZ senior commissioner on this project is Kay Almers. Conversations with My Immigrant Parents was made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. He kōnei ipurangi tēnei mō te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.